These quantitative changes have also had some subtler qualitative effects, in a manner very characteristic of what modernity does to tradition, where it does not simply undermine it. The effect of modern conditions has been to make the Quranic text and its recitation more uniform than ever before, at the expense of local variation. This variation, as we shall see, was never very great in the traditional Islamic world, and even now it has not entirely disappeared. But the trend is unmistakable. In Morocco, for example, the traditional North African textual tradition is still preserved in the mosques, but an intrusive Middle Eastern style has invaded the marketplace. This trend is partly a matter of numbers. A small set of printing presses has displaced a large number of copyists, just as the availability of first-rate recitations on tape must have curtailed the market for live performances by humble, local reciters. Partly, also, it is a matter of trend-setting. The cultural prestige of Egypt in the modern Islamic world has given that country a disproportionate say in what the Quran should look like and sound like. Either way, the effect is homogenization. Homogenization, however, courts the revenge effect of fragmentation. In the event, there has been very little of this, but it is nevertheless worth identifying the key fault line. This fault line is not sectarian. The Shiites, the Muslim sect which today predominates in Iran, share the same tradition of recitation as the Sunni majority. Rather, it is linguistic. The countries of the southern Middle East and North Africa, in which Arabic is the spoken language of the population, and consequently the language of modern primary education, contain less than a quarter of the world's Muslim population. For the rest, who speak Turkish, Persian, and many other languages, there is necessarily a mismatch between the Arabic of the Quran and the local language of primary education. One cannot achieve literacy in both at one and the same time, and probably not from the same teacher in the same school. The tension is exacerbated by the fact that modernity brings an enhanced concern for the intelligibility of Scripture among the believers at large. As the Turkish nationalist Ziya Gukalp, died 1924, put it, A country in whose schools the Quran is read in Turkish is one in which everyone, child and adult, knows God's command. There are only two clear-cut solutions to this problem. Either the believers have to learn Arabic, or the Quran has to be translated. The first solution was propounded with great force by a well-known scholar of medieval Damascus, Ibn Taymiyyah, died 1328, in a book urging his fellow Muslims to desist from imitating non-Muslims and return to the straight path. Indeed, he wished to see all Muslims use Arabic as their language of everyday life. But this is not going to happen, and mass literacy in a foreign language is not a very realistic educational project. The second solution, a translation of the Quran intended not just to supplement but to displace the Arabic original, was taken furthest in the secular Republic of Turkey between the First and Second World Wars. 
This translation was to have been the centerpiece of an effort to create a form of Islam inoffensive to Turkish nationalism. But, as we will see, such attempts go against the grain of Islam, and even in Turkey the project led nowhere. To date, the non-Arab Muslim world shows little sign of adopting the idea of a vernacular scripture in the manner of 16th-century Protestantism or 20th-century Catholicism.